0: I hold in my hands this morning the Bible, which is the Word of God which offers to you and I good news of salvation from sin. It is also a book that shows us the bad news of condemnation for sin. There is no other book in this world that proclaims the total depravity of man apart from a holy God, the Word of God. Since the fall of mankind, the Bible reveals that every person that's been born into this world is born with a sin nature. What the psalmist David said can be said of you and I. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my mother's and in sin did my mother conceive me. Early in Romans 3:23 that wonderful verse we all know he says for all have sinned and fall short of the go- glory of God. Every one of us. Because of the universal sinfulness of man, unbelievers are under what? The condemnation of God. Ephesians 2.3 says, And we, by nature, children of wrath. Sin is a defiling disease that corrupts, that defiles, that degrades and disquiets every soul. It removes peace and joy and contentment from the heart and replaces it with trouble and confusion. And we see that all through our world today, don't we? People are confused because of sin. Because of sin, mankind is under the power of Satan. Ephesians 2b says, Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Because of sin all mankind is born in bondage to pain to disease and to death. In Job 5:7 one of Job's friends observed that man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. And how true that is. It happens. We are all subject to disease, but the problems of this body. And as the older we get, the more we find that it fails. Right, Caroline? <laughs> we see it. Fallen men are heirs of God's judgment in Hebrews 10 27, but a fearful and expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries, and there is a curse on the sinner's soul. Some of our, last, our Lord's last words on this earth were in Mark 16, 16b, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 says, In flaming fire, fire inflicting vengeance, On those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is condemnation on those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. There are at least three reasons why God is justified in his condemnation of sinners. And first, we see it is because all men, through our lineage from Adam, share in the guilt of original sin, both moral and spiritual depravity. And we can turn to Romans back just a few verses or chapters in Romans 5, verse 17 and 18. And it says, "For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, "...reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so the act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many were made righteous." Because of Adam... Many were made sinners, one man. And because of one man, Jesus Christ, we've all been made righteous. Second, because every person is born with an evil nature. Ephesians 2, 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That was you and I before we knew Jesus Christ. That was our evil nature, all of us. Third, because of the evil deeds our depraved natures produce. Romans 2.6, Paul says again, He will render to each one according to his works. In verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking, And do not obey the truth, but unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. Those who seek after self and do not obey the truth, but unrighteousness. That's where we were. For the unrepentant sinner, this is nothing but bad news. Before the sinner outside of Jesus Christ, there is nothing to look forward to except spiritual death and eternal damnation in hell, the lake of fire. I hate to paint that kind of picture, but that's what the Bible paints. Jesus gave the example of the loss of the place for the lost in Matthew eight twelve, and it says that they will be cast into outer darkness. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. What a horrible condition. This is the condition of every person born into this world. And in the light of this horrible and dreadful condition, the Apostle Paul proclaims the good news, praise the Lord, in Romans 8, 1 through 4 that wonderful truth that those of us who by grace through faith alone believe and belong to Jesus Christ. I don't understand for the life of me how anyone who has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and does not run headlong and accept God's provision of grace The only thing I can understand is that their eyes are blinded. Their hearts hardened. In presenting God's salvation to you and I as believers this morning, we see four things. There's actually four R's that Paul focuses on. And that's what we'd like to look at this morning. First, we see the reality of freedom. Secondly, we see the reason for freedom. And third, the route to freedom. And four, the result of freedom. Before we continue this morning, we'd like to go to the Lord for prayer and ask for guidance. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word I thank you, Father, so much that Jesus Christ went to the cross and he took my sins upon him and he nailed them to the cross. Oh, Father, how, thank- how thankful we are that there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus We thank you for the good news that we have of salvation. But we always want to remind those that are outside of Christ the bad news, that there is condemnation to the sinner. So, Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you will guide my heart, guide my mind, give us clarity from the Word, Father. We pray for the Holy Spirit to just lead this morning because we know that if the Holy Spirit is not leading, nothing that is said will be worth anything. So we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the power of the gospel. So we just look to you just now and ask for your strength and guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, we look at the reality of freedom. No condemnation. No condemnation. That's what he says here, verse 1a. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Under most circumstances, the word therefore introduces a result, a consequence, or a conclusion based on what previously took place in just a few verses before but it seems probable here that therefore marks a conclusion from the first from the entire first 7 chapters of this book of Romans which focuses on what on justification by faith alone That's made possible on the basis of and by the power of God's amazing grace. Chapter 8 shows us a major change in the flow of the epistle. Paul begins to show us the results of justification in the life of you and I, the believer. He begins to unpack for us the divine truths of the doctrine of salvation. He shows us that salvation did not come through Christ's perfect life, but through His perfect death and sacrifice on the cross. It is there where Christ paid our debt for us, for those of us who place our trust in what Jesus Christ did on our behalf there is now no condemnation what a what a joy for the believer what is the very heart of the gospel it is that Jesus completely and forever paid our debt of sin and the penalty of the law which is condemnation of death for everyone who cries out for mercy and places his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus not only paid our debt of sin, but in 1 John 1, 9, He said He cleanses us from, us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Even though our sins were as scarlet in Isaiah 1, 8, I believe it is, He makes them as white as snow, even though they were red like crimson. He makes them like wool. He took his, our sins upon Him and washed us clean. Even more amazing is that Christ graciously imputes His own perfect righteousness to each one of us who is believers in Christ. That. That's just amazing to me. That, that just it literally blows my mind. I, I can't even grasp it. Hebrews 10:14 says, For by one offering, he Christ has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, those who are set apart. In 2 Corinthians 5 21, I love that verse. I quote it often it says, For our sake, He made him to for him to be sin, who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He's not only declared us righteous, but He has made us righteous by giving us His own righteousness. (laughs) Unbelievable. Those of us who are in Christ should be continually doing what? giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 1.12 Because of this, we will never be subject to divine condemnation. Never. What a cause for our rejoicing. It should cause a hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. There can never be the eternal death penalty for believers. This is the foundation of the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Paul asks the question at the end of the chapter. And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 31. And again, he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Verse 33. If the one and only God justifies you and I by His grace, who can declare us guilty? No one. No one. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is very important this morning to realize that being delivered from condemnation is not based on anything that you or I do or any form of good deeds that we can achieve as believers. Not one thing. It is only Christ who has set us free from condemnation. The conflict or the very presence of sin that you and I have to deal with does not end until the Lord either calls us home or He comes to receive us in the clouds of heaven where we can be with him forever. And I long for that time where there's no sin. Here on this earth, I still battle. There's no condemnation. there's uh, There's no penalty for sin. But experientially, I still battle with this old flesh. The conflict is always there. Also, we need to understand that being delivered from divine condemnation does not mean that we are delivered from divine discipline. Hebrews 12, 6 tells us that for those whom the Lord loves, He chastens or He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. I'm so grateful for that. If it wasn't for God's discipline upon my life, I don't know where I'd be. There's so many times that we, we tend, because of this old flesh, to wander a little away. And yet God in His love brings us back to Him. Brings us back to the Word of God. There's times where we, we, we tend to get away from the Word, don't we? There's, you know... Do you know that if we don't spend time in the Word every day, if we don't spend time in prayer to our God, if we don't spend time in fellowship to the Lord, it's so easy to get away. It's so easy to go our own direction. And God has to intervene. And He does to those who He loves. Just because that we are delivered From God's condemnation does not mean or does not free us from being accountable to Him for our actions. There is no condemnation, but yes, we need to be accountable to God. And God does make sure that that happens to the believer. He wants us to walk in His way, in His will. Number two, the reason for freedom is justification. As we said, it's all through the first seven chapters of the book of, Ephesians, of Romans. It's just so interesting. Sometimes you have an opportunity to go through and just look at every chapter. It talks about those who are, who are living unrighteousness or the unrighteousness of the law. And it talks about the righteousness of Christ. It's all through there, justification by faith. How thankful. And he says, for condemnation, for for there is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verses 1b. There is no exception in verse 1a which believers are exonerated from divine condemnation. It is given to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's who he's speaking of, those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of justification, we are forever released from the bondage of sin and the penalty of death and are fit to stand sinless before a holy God forever in His presence. Only because of Jesus. When Jesus looks down to me and He sees, He doesn't see Bruce Filburn. He sees Jesus Christ. (laughs) He has to. If He sees me, I would never be saved. It's only because of Christ. Paul shows us in chapter uh, 7, 7 through 25, all through there, that none of us, as Christians, can escape the struggles with sin in this life, can we? We'll battle it. Even the Apostle Paul was not exempt. Paul says in the previous chapter, verses 24 and 25, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? But he says, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, That's where it's at, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whether you are the weakest or the strongest believer, we will still stumble and fall into sin's power in our own flesh. We will only experience true victory, as I said earlier, over the power of sin in the life that is to come when we're with Jesus Christ. The key to every aspect of salvation is in the simple phrase, for those who are in Christ Jesus. We who are believers are in Christ Jesus. Read Romans 6, 3, 5. And we'll go back there and read that. Just a, just a, a chapter back, 2. And we'll go back to, to the, uh, verse 1, I believe. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. Or in the King James, says, God forbid. How can we who died to sin live in it? We can't. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism, into death, in order that, excuse me, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk, how? In newness of life. In newness of life. We are not just outwardly identified with Christ, but we are a part of Christ. We're not just united with Him, but we're united in Him. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, he says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Jesus Christ's life that lives and flows in and through our life. Not our life. Not my life, but his life. Martin Luther said, It is impossible, I quote, for a man to be a Christian without having Christ. <laughs> and if he has Christ, he has at the same time all that Christ, all that is in Christ. Now that's an amazing, he goes on here, but, but I'm going to read this again. It, to me, that, that's amazing. It is impossible for a man to be a Christian without having Christ. Very simple. But if he has Christ, he has at the same time all that is in Christ. That's amazing. Everything that is in Christ is ours. What gives peace to the conscience is that by faith our sins are no more ours, but whose? Christ upon whom God hath laid them all, and that on the other hand all Christ's righteousness is ours, to whom God hath given it. Christ lays His hand upon us, and we are clothed, for He is the glorious Savior, blessed forever. End quote. What a wonderful quote. The conjunction for carries the meaning because... And it leads us to the reason that there is no condemnation. It says the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Paul's not speaking here of the Mosaic law. But as in 327, he's speaking of the law of faith. Or in Galatians 6.2, the law of Christ. The lower law is a divine principle in regard to sin, of which is the penalty of death. But in the higher law is the law of the Spirit, which gives us life in Christ Jesus. We should not think that the law Paul is speaking of in this passage has nothing to do with obedience. True salvation will always produce true obedience. Hebrews 8.10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put their laws in their minds and will write them on their hearts. The freedom that Christ gives is complete deliverance from sin's power and penalty. We've said that over and over. But it gives us the ability to obey God, to live obedient to Him. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Paul speaking of, is what? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives spiritual life to those of us who place trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Just as John told Nicodemus in John 3, 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to Himself. Even though we are no longer under sin's dominion and control of sin's penalty, Satan, the world, and our own human weakness, we still sin and stumble, but it can no longer destroy us because this new life in Christ has set us free by God's own Spirit. We have been justified by faith through Jesus Christ. Number three is the route to freedom. Substitution. Here in verse 3 he says, For God has done what the law weakened in the flesh, Could not do. By doing what? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, He condemns sin in the flesh. (laughs) Amazing verse. The Scripture expresses the heart. This Scripture expresses the heart of the Gospel. The truth that Jesus Christ paid the debt for every person who would turn from sin in repentance and trust him as lord and savior you know the law can provoke sin and con- condemn sin in mankind but it cannot save them from sin's penalty galatians 3:10 says cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. There's no way we could obey the law, all the law. If we we didn't obey in all things, just one little jot and tittle, we would be guilty of the whole law. Nothing, the law, there's one place I think is in... uh, Chapter 3 of Romans 10 and 11, it says, None righteous, no, not one. None of us would even seek after God. Although the law is holy and righteous and good, Romans 7, 12, the law could not save us from our sins. Why? Because it was weakened, it says here, it was weakened by the flesh. The sinful corruption of the flesh made the law powerless to save anyone. The law in and of itself can make no one righteous. It can only expose and condemn them for their unrighteousness. That's all it can do. It can make no one perfect, only expose our imperfections. Acts 13, 38 and 39, Paul stated, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes, is freed from all things from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. It won't do it. On one occasion, a young man came to Jesus in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22. And we could tell that story, but you know, I think I'm going to go and turn back there. I don't want to miss, I want to be able to quote it verbatim. That's 19, chapter 19, 16 through 22, and we'll read that together. I think I'm right here. Wait a minute, just a moment. Yes, 19, 16 through 22. No, that's not right. <laughs> I thought I had that right here. I'm sorry. Uh, it's in Rome it's in John <laughs> okay uh, Phil do you know where that's at? Are you about the rich young ruler? Rich young ruler that's it. that's Matthew 19. <laughs> It's Matthew 19 10, I said John 19 no wonder I can't find it <laughs> Yeah. There you go I'm sorry, excuse me, senior moment. Thank you, appreciate it. Matthew 19, 16 through 22, there we are. It says, and behold, a man came to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. And the young man said to him, All these I have kept. Huh, I wonder, what do I lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go Sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This man was totally religious, wasn't he? He kept all the commandments, he said, from his youth up. But his life showed despite being diligent to obey the commandments, he failed to keep the two greatest commandments. That was to love the Lord, our God, with all our hearts. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. But this young man was selfish and materialistic. He had many riches, and when he was told to give it all away to the poor, he was sorrowful. Why? Because he was thinking only of himself. His love for self completely surpassed his love for God. Completely. But you know, as I read this, I had to turn and point the finger right back at me. It's really caused me to f- reflect on my own life. How is it with me? How is it with you? Do we really love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our souls, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself? Or do I think more of the things, my houses, my homes, my uh, cars, and... <laughs> The things. So many times, maybe we put our things ahead of God. What the law was unable to do for fallen men, God has done. The law can condemn the sinner, but only God can condemn the sin. And that is what He has done on behalf of those. Who trust in his son by Christ coming down to this earth in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he did what? He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15 tells us. He was a perfect Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, as John preached. But because Jesus was without sin, He was the perfect sacrifice for sin. He was the sovereign over sin and the consequence, death. Those of us who trust in Christ are not only saved from the penalty of sin, but are able to trust God's righteous standards. Christ bore the fury of God's wrath on all sin, and He broke sin's power over us over whose trust is in giving of himself for sin on our behalf. Instead of formerly being children of Satan, we become children of God, recipients of his grace. The only hope that you and I have for salvation from sin is the offering for sin that Jesus made at Calvary. Scottish evangelist Robert Haldane wrote, We see the father assume the place of judge against his son in order to become the father of those who were his enemies. The father condemns the son of his love that he may absolve the children of wrath. End quote. Jesus Christ condemned sin in the flesh. Whereas since one once condemned the believer, now Christ, our Savior, condemns sin, delivering the believer from sin's power and penalty, as we said over and over. We cannot stress enough what Jesus Christ did for us at Calvary's cross. No wonder the apostle says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I'm determined, or uh, I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I think that should be our motto. I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, today we, we, we try to solve all of, uh, of our uh, society's ills, everything of culture, we think that we've got to get in there and and solve things. But you know what? The only thing that will solve us is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. It's the gospel. That is our responsibility, brothers and sisters in Christ, is to share the gospel with others around us. Not fix all social ills. We can't do it. It's just Jesus Christ. It will be fixed one day when He comes again. But until that time, we are to preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 and 57 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We just can't stress that enough. It is only through Jesus Christ. The story is told of a man who once operated a drawbridge. At a certain time each afternoon, this man had to raise the bridge for a ferry boat and then lower it quickly for a passenger train that crossed at high speed a few minutes later. One day, the man's young son was visiting his father at work and he decided that he'd go down below to get a better look at the ferry as it passed. He was fascinated by the sight. He did not watch carefully where he was going and he fell into the giant gears one foot became caught and the boy was helpless to free himself the father saw what was happening but he knew that if he took the time to extricate his son the train would plunge into the river before the bridge could be lowered. But if he lowered the bridge to save the hundreds of passengers and crew members aboard on the train, his son would be crushed to death. As a father, can't imagine. When he heard the train whistle indicating it would soon reach the river he knew what he had to do his son was very dear to him whereas all the people on the train were total strangers but the sacrifice of his son for the sake of the other people was an act of pure grace and mercy that's what Jesus did for us the great substitute the story portrays something of the identity greater sacrifice infinitely greater sacrifice that god the father made when he sent his only beloved son to earth to die for your sins and my sins to whom he owed nothing but condemnation and that's what we were owed, was eternal hell. But He took that in our place. Finally, the result of freedom is sanctification. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, we as believers have both the desire and the ability to live holy lives while we're still on this earth. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us, believers. Paul is speaking not of the justifying work of salvation, but here of the sanctifying work that is being lived out in our daily lives. Apart from the Holy Spirit working through the life of the believer, our human efforts at righteousness are as contaminated as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, verse 6. But because we have been cleansed through the blood of Christ, we have been given God's own divine nature within, and we long for and we're able to live a life of holiness. God does not give us spiritual freedom so that we can do as we please, but to do as He pleases This phrase, who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, is not just an admonition, but it's a fact that applies to all of us who are believers in Christ. Being indwelt by the Spirit is not a mark of spiritual maturity or growth, but the mark of every true born-again Christian without exception, period. It would show. It should be our walk. To walk refers to a habitual way, a habit, or a bent of life, or how we would say in our vernacular today, a lifestyle. It is the lifestyle. Paul counseled the Ephesians to walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. How? In the futility of their mind. Ephesians 4.17. John declares, 1 John 1, seven. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Paul makes it very clear that a true believer does not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. At the end of Christ's Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commanded, You are to be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5.8 And we know that's positionally we are perfect in Christ, but we strive for perfection in this life. Nothing is dear to the heart of God than the moral and spiritual excellence that He has created in His own image, you and I, men and women, boys and girls, for Christ. In Ephesians 1.4, Paul says, Even as He, God, chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him why verse 5 tells us for the praise of his glorious grace it's all for the praise the glory of god christ does not want a bride who is only positionally righteous but he wants one who lives righteous just as he himself is righteous And that can be accomplished only through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God who gives us that desire. Remember, the main purpose of the gospel is not to make you and I happy, but to make us holy. God promises to give us joy, but He demands holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12, 14. Righteousness is at the very heart of the salvation. It is how God saves those of us who trust in Son. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation unto all who believe, to the Jews first and also the Gentiles. And then he goes on and he says, For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Scripture is clear that in some unknown way, known only to the sovereign God, a person begins to walk by the Spirit of God the moment he believes the gospel. Have you ever noticed that? I remember when I first come to know Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, the things that I used to love, I now hated. The things that I hated, I now love. I love the Word of God. I couldn't get enough of it. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of the result of works, lest any man would boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that what? That we should walk in them. It is a true statement. I think either Martin Luther or John Calvin, I looked it up, basically started this as that we are saved or justified by faith alone, but faith that justifies or saves is never alone. Luther, Martin Luther. And I quote, A genuine believer will continue, will commune with our Heavenly Father in prayer. But we have the responsibility to pray. We read God's Word and are taught by the Holy Spirit, yet we are obligated to seek the Spirit's guidance. The Holy Spirit will produce spiritual fruit in our life, but we are admonished to bear fruit. Those truths are part of the amazing and seemingly paradoxical tension between God's sovereignty and man's free will. Although man's mind is incapable of understanding such mysteries, the believer accepts them. Why? Because they are clearly taught in His Word, Pastor John MacArthur. How true that is. You know, God's sovereignty and man's free will. I can't explain it, I have to believe it by faith. In this finite mind, it's a mystery. MacArthur's right, but we believe it, and we preach it. We preach the doctrine of election. We know very little of the relationship between God and Adam before the fall other than it was intimate there in the garden. God only gave Adam one command, and it was for Adam and Eve's own good. It was a very simple command to obey. But until that one sin and transgression was disobeyed, they lived at peace in the perfect will of God, enjoying that beautiful Garden of Eden, weren't they? Doing God's will was part of their very being until they fell and transgressed and sinned and disobeyed God. You know, our relationship to God is much the same, even though as we, as believers, we are drawn back to our old ways of the flesh. But our new life in Christ makes us, makes obeying God the natural thing to do. Are these obligations another form of legalism? May it never be. For the person who is genuinely saved by faith alone has a new divine nature attuned to our living God's will. These commands are not burdensome, but joy, because we are clothed in the life of Jesus Christ. Psalm 119.97 said, Those of us who have been born again, walking in the Spirit, and are obedient from the heart, can say as David, Oh, how I love thy law. Oh, how I love your word, oh God. In closing, what have we learned from this passage of Scripture this morning? I trust that we have learned that those chains of sin have been broken and that we're now free. There's freedom in Jesus Christ alone. Freedom. True freedom in Christ. We've learned this morning the reality of freedom, that there's no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We have learned the reason for freedom, that we have been justified freely by His grace. We learned that the route to freedom is substitution. Christ substituted His own life my life and the result of freedom sanctification we are free to live a holy and blameless life before our God that's to those of us who are in Christ but you know this morning if there is anyone who is here that does not know or has never come to Christ for salvation that you have never come under His shed blood. I want to offer the gospel to you. The gospel is that Jesus Christ lived, He died, gave His life on the cross. He was buried, and three days later He rose again, according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel. And Romans 10 tells us that If you will confess with your heart and believe, confess with your mouth, I'm sorry, and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Today is the day of salvation. There is no one who knows for sure whether you will face tomorrow. None of us. If God is calling you by His effectual voice, I pray this morning that you will please heed His voice and come to Jesus Christ while there is still time. If you are still in your sins, condemned, come to Jesus where there is total forgiveness. And no condemnation, as we spoke about. The word is so plain. You can be saved. You can be justified. Receive Christ's own righteousness and live a sanctified and holy life for Christ and give Him glory forever and ever. That's my prayer. Let's come before God in a word of prayer this morning. Eternal God, we come before you just now, Lord. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful for there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Father, it's my desire this morning, if there's anyone here that does not know you, please, Lord, call them by your effectual call. And if you do that, we know that they will come. Your word tells us in John 6.37 that all that the Father gives me will come to me. And those who come to me, I will never cast out. Oh Father, how thankful we are for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our, that is our motto, that is our desire as believers in Christ, to continue to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Oh, how we love you, Lord. We want to live for you. Sanctified, holy, blameless lives before you that others would see our lives and turn to Christ. Christ. Oh, Father, we want to give you glory and praise and honor. It's all due you. And we would just say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen.